We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, everybody. We are the Pettiest Bills Podcast. I'm not bright enough for all of that. Drew Gator. Because I thrive off negativity, it's just more hackery from a charlatan and a carpetbag. The Rock Pile Report. Oh, uh, my blood pressure's rising. He gave him Coors or Banquet beers out of spite. The Pettiest, Hardest Drinking Bills Podcast. I'll go to hell and back just to prove a point. to another edition of the Rock Ball Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And in in back-to-back weeks, like I haven't been this fired up to do a game recap in a while. Some of that might just be because it's maybe it's Dan Snyder's former team and he's gone and it's this whole thing like I don't know. But first, before we get to that, Chris, there's a tweet that I bookmarked, and I want to ask your opinion on this, because I feel like you, you've become a cocktail guy. You were always a little handy in the kitchen. Yeah. I saw a tweet this week that made me think of a funny story. Biggest, and it also ties into what went on on Sunday, uh, biggest cooking disaster of your entire life. This I this I wasn't I was in the building for it, but I was not present in the room for it. So my mom and dad had just gotten divorced. They're remarried to each other. They were divorced for nine nine years. And when they they divorced and sold the house and then my mom had bought a town home. And I, my mom and I had moved into the townhome because I was still trying to make it in radio and acting, and I didn't really have my feet on the ground, so I couldn't move out. I didn't have the funds to do that, especially with Atlanta apartment pricing. My mom's making chicken upstairs, and it, it this recipe is now called Exploder Chicken. 
and my mom had this glass pan and a couple of chicken breasts in it. It's in the oven, 425 degrees for however long, and without thinking of what the chicken is in, the recipe calls for like adding a quarter cup of water at the end. So my mom pulls no. Yeah, she pulls the chicken oh, out, no. like the grate of the oven out, pours like a quarter cup of water on it, glass shatters everywhere in the oven. It sound I was in the basement, sounded like a shotgun went off. And I ran upstairs and there's just glass everywhere. And my mom was like, Well, I guess we're gonna order some food. <laughs> so that recipe is forever called Exploder Chicken. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Mine is uh, a lot more tragic. Let me let me ask you this: Does it involve this photo that I just saw on Q forty two's page, where you're wearing sunglasses, <laughs> uh, cooking like like uh like one of the latex a gloves, trial glove? Yeah, and, and you're, holding and a you're holding a knife. Yeah, no, that is like <laughs> whose idea was it to tweet that photo out? From Q42's either Facebook or or Twitter page. Like, you holding and, like, that... Honestly, Iman should make that the cover photo for (laughs) Q42. And and, and any... It's funny because Annabelle brought up the fact that she goes, you looked really intense holding that knife. I go, no, you just put the knife in my hand. I get zoned in. She goes, zoned in for what? So I don't know. I don't know how... You know, I'm not I've never done anything within business, but I do know that you started investing with Iman and Q forty two, Reed Ferguson started doing that. So if you're starting to invest and get other people to invest what Q forty two is, you take that photo and you put it on the cover of like a pamphlet or brochure to other investors <laughs> as a presentation. <laughs> me with to, a knife. To bring them in. A, a sort of Hispanic yeah. with a knife. That photo and then the Q42 logo up top, you're going to get investors. Iman, don't listen to him. Guys, for the love of God, don't do this. Um, no, no, my biggest cooking disaster. It was in South Buffalo. Funny, we're talking about Q42. It was in South Buffalo. Tift. Down over on Tift Street. Davini, if you're listening to this, I'm really sorry I fucked up your kitchen. Um, I'd never pan fried fish. And so I I poured a layer of oil in the bottom of a deep pan. And I had asked my mom, I go, I've never fried anything in oil. What? You know, I'm I'm 22, 23. I go, okay, I've never fried anything in a pan in oil. I've worked at McDonald's. I understand you can't throw ice in the fryer or else the shit goes crazy. How do I know if the oil's ready? Sort of a thermometer. And she goes, well, you just, she goes, you take a little bit of water and you drip it in there. And if the thing sizzles and pops, then it's ready. Now, she gave me the right instruction. This isn't her fault. I poured the oil in the pan. I got everything together. I dredged my fish. I'd done everything. So I washed my hands. And then when my hands were still wet, I was like, well, I need water in the pan to see if the oil's ready. And I took both hands and did one of these. 
and flicked all of the water off of my hands into that hot pan of oil. Anarchy. Right? Like, this thing's just... So now I panic, Chris. And I don't know... Now, now the smart move, what would you do? You would turn the heat off and maybe even throw some flour into the pan? No, I would have done what you're... I would have done whatever you're about to say. (laughs) I thought the smart move would be to pick the pan up and take it off the burner. Now I've picked up a pan of just jumping oil, and it's just burning the hell out of my forearms. (laughs) And I realize this is a terrible idea, and I can't hold this because it's literally at the top of the pan, just... (laughs) And in the fracas... I drop the pan. Now there's hot oil on the floor. And then I proceed to slip and fall in the oil. Chris, I'm literally like in medieval castles. They used to dump hot oil and tar over the banister to be like, ah, fuck you climbing up here trying to our siege. Like we're involved in siege. I'm going to dump this hot oil on you if you try to climb up here. I did that to myself in the middle of a South Buffalo kitchen. I like it. It was a nightmare to clean up. And I had like second degree burns all over <laughs> my shoulders, the middle of my back. Imagine trying to go to sleep at night with a with a second degree burn in the middle of your spine. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. <laughs> in fact, that one blistered. It might have even been a little bit worse than that. Like, that was the longest one, was the one right in the middle of my back. And I remember I, I remember it because I know I couldn't sleep right for at least a month. It was at least a month after that incident that I couldn't do it. All of this is to say that I've experienced pain and disasters and suffering, but that can't nearly compare to what happened to the Washington Commanders on Sunday. Guys, this is our week three recap. The Buffalo Bills 37, the Commanders 3. You know how you read stats of the game here? Oh, like Bob Barker? No, the best way to do that is if you open up that refrigerator and enjoy yourself. Oh, yeah, no. Seagram's. Oh, God. Is it in here? Yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) No. Blueberry acai lemonade. I don't even. I don't even know what acai is. I don't even. Apparently, it's a berry. Is this like Invigoron? I don't know. <laughs> we were trying. I didn't. Jessica wasn't home when we started recording tonight. So. Oh, okay. Well, he, I had her pick it up. He, did she pick this? Yeah. Oh, of course, that's where the Asai comes from. She's a woman. She knows what this thing is. She picked up another four-pack of Jamaican Me Happy. And I was like, no, Drew's <laughs> drinking this one. Because it looks disgusting. It's a purple color for those of you listening on audio, not watching on YouTube, where you should be coming to check this out visually. Um, it, it looks like Kool-Aid, except I know this is going to hurt way worse than that. Chris, as I go, why don't you read some of the stats of the game? I mean, the defense showed out, but I think what we're going to do is start with some offense. Sam Howell, 19 to 29, 170, four picks, nine sacks, partridge in a pear tree. 
Allen, 20 and 32, 218. One toddy and one pick. Stephon Diggs, 2.9 yards of average separation, 41st amongst all qualifying NFL wide receivers in week three. And that uh, that rollout that he had, I was watching that. Amazing. Why don't you read the defense? Holy shit. <laughs> Is that bad? That, Chris, you watch me chug these things. I was reading the screen, so it I knew your stats. Point, no, no, but you've watched me over the years chug these things. Yeah. I almost get to the point where I can just tornado them and just pour it down. Wow. That thing just rocked my world. It's so bad. And also, it's way sweeter than anything I've ever tasted out of a secret before. I definitely have to talk to my doctor tomorrow and find it if I'm already... Like, do I need insulin? Probably. You know what? You can get some at the stadium this this week because Blake Ferguson will be here. He has. Uh, hey, hey, Super Mexican found one. Yeah, yeah. Super Mexican drank a. They drank sell them at the stadium. He drank a Seagram's in her honor. All right, so let's let's dig into this. So Josh Allen, Sam Howell, they had they had both have made plays, right? Josh Allen, the just two- go to the defensive backs. That's where he left off. Okay, well here's what I know: two interceptions, nine yards after the catch allowed, zero Washington wide receivers who achieved more than one point nine yards of average separation. Do you know how crazy that is? No. Okay, Terry McLaurin and Cole Turner. 1.9 yards of separation. Those are the only ones who qualified with more than five or more targets. Sam Howell was holding on to the football longer. We're going to talk about it longer than is advised for a quarterback. And the guys he targeted the most were McLaurin and this guy who were blanketed. Blanketed. They're in the 40-somethings. Like, Stephon Diggs was 41st among all qualifying NFL wide receivers in week three for separation at 2.9 yards. These guys are a full yard behind him, and they're the only ones who saw targets. That's crazy. That is nuts. The Bills front seven. 32 individual pressures, most in the NFL, in the NFL next-gen stats era. Nine sacks, five quarterback hits, zero pass rush, like, like, like zero pass rush from blitzing. Four players with pass rush win rates of double digits. Nothing from the secondary, Chris. Yeah. No rush attempts from the secondary. And four pressures, a sack, and a defensive touchdown from A.J. fucking Eppinitz. Remember the day when I thought J.K. Dobbins was the better bet? Well, I mean... Draft takes! Now... Drew Gears draft takes are the worst. You're allotted for injury. (laughs) Yeah, but... Dobbins has... He's gone through some shit. Sure, but he's gonna keep going through some shit. Like, that guy's career is probably over, unfortunately. Linebacker Terrell Bernard, one pick, one fumble recovery, two sacks on two pressures, team leading four run stops, three catches on five targets for 14 yards. He gave up one yard after the catch. 
<laughs> I mean, sometimes your your answer is on your roster, and so we think you know Tyrell, you know, getting Dotson back on on a one year, you know, him. Obviously, we had the two draft picks last year, and Bernard and Specter. They're, they've been in our program a year. They're going to be a lot more prepared for the pro game and, and our defensive system going in. So, you know, it's it's a competition, and we'll continue to look whether that's cap casualties, free agencies. Um, if there's a player in the draft, um, it'll be competition. We're not going to, you know, state now or probably next month or in two months this person's the starter. They're all going to get a chance to compete, and best man wins. We thought he was lying. <laughs> that was Brandon Bean back in March when he was like, well, Edmonds' replacement might already be here. <laughs> and everybody, including us, were like, the fuck he is. The fuck he is. <laughs> hey, listen again. It's a good thing I don't know shit about the draft. Yeah. Right? And then offensive guards Connor McGovern and Osiris Torrance, two pressures, two hurries, zero sacks against that vaunted Washington defensive line. All right, so I want to preface this with this before we dunk on them. The Commanders have had an amazing start to the season. They have done better than I think most people thought they would. And honestly, like I think Preston, you know, from the Carolinas, he'd agree with this. Yep. Like, they deserve that. They deserved the start they got. 2-0, you win at home, you get that giant emotional game where it's like, oh my god, this is actually a tight game against the Cardinals. But we come out on top. And then again, you go, oh fuck, it's us against the Broncos, and we find a way. Late in the game, heroic plays, you, you find a way to squeak it out, and you say to yourself, we are looking like a team that I can hang my hat on and be proud to watch play, and not disgusted by my owner, not, you know what I mean? Like, you can feel good about the not only the way the team's playing, but the way the franchise is headed. You just feel good about everything. And so in the run-up to this, all of these Commanders fans, it was one of the, again, it's just the second complete sellout in probably a decade. You know, I had my childhood best friend, Adam, who lives in Virginia. He went to the game, oh. met up with another one of our friends from our childhood, uh, Dave Frigiletti. They went to the game. They were in the lower bowl underneath the upper deck and Adam sent me a video it's just getting dumped on from he, he's under the covers still getting dumped on with rain because that fucking stadium is absolute trash <laughs> it's still pouring water that's how that's how bad it was at FedEx field well Jake was there yeah Jake was there with his wife and he sent us photos how pathetic was that tailgate compared to ours I mean, Jake, I'm I, I'm just glad you had fun. Obviously, obvi it was a good time, but that couldn't have held a candle to what we do on a weekly basis. But I get it. You're in a parking lot. <laughs> There's not a whole lot you can do. But so even with all of this, these niceties going the way of the commanders, they had to know that they were in for a fucking day when they showed up and realized, as was described by the Athletics' Ben Standing, that the Bills fans 
despite being sold out, the Bills fans in their Zubaz and their jerseys and just being like, they had the slight edge in attendance and they were definitely the louder of the football teams, like football fans in the stands. That's got to sting if you're the commanders, right? I can't stop! There's a cliff! And your family's screaming, Oh my God, we're burning alive! No, I can't feel my legs! In comes a meat wagon! And the medic gets out and says, Oh my God! That was literally, that's the, that, that's essentially, I, like, I just wanted to wrap it up. I figured that, that that was the most succinct way to describe what every single Washington sports radio show must have sounded like on Monday. <laughs> that's, that's it in a nutshell. And I want to preface this by saying this, their fans didn't deserve that, Chris. Mm. Those people no. have suffered enough. They didn't deserve that. <laughs> You already knew you were going to, you should have known you were in for it when our fans outnumbered yours, we were louder than yours, and then the worst thing happened. <laughs> Everything fell apart in, not to, Chris, it didn't just fall apart, it convincing, like, it, they challenge your rocketed. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I'm laughing about that. But they challenge your rocketed. And that's the sound I know because I listened to it because I'm a petty motherfucker. Even though I love them, I listened to Virginia Sports Radio and to DC Sports Radio because I was like, I need to hear this. And I want to know, are they resting on their laurels going, well, we lost a tough one to the Buffalo Bills, but it's okay. We'll get them back next week. Nah, shit was shit was hitting the fan. So where do we start dissecting this for our football team? The way we dissected the commanders. Uh, I guess I'll say this. A week after being named the AFC Offensive Player of the Week, if you had told me that Josh Allen, like if I was just looking at the box score, and you had told me that he was going to throw for less than 220 yards and just one single touchdown and one pick, I would have assumed that our game would have ended the way that the Jets game did. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. Instead, we demolished another NFL football team. I want people to understand that that's the power of what the Bills are currently running in terms of complementary football. And it's really refreshing to see in action. Now, Chris, can you do me a favor? Can you throw me pro football reference 2023 Buffalo Bills on this, on this monitor and then just bring up the box score for that game? Now... When I look at this and I say to myself, we are attacking. We're doing the thing. Every week I sat here and said, hey, we need to attack those linebackers. I started it with the Raiders. I said it again with the commanders. I go, I, I just don't think these guys are that good. The Bills have run away with that. But now it's not even so much a like, it's one of those things where it's not a, it's not a bug, it's a feature. We're not doing it because we have to. We're not attacking the center of a defense because we have to attack that. We're doing it because that's what we choose to do. Chris, 98 yards rushing on 15 carries for James Cook. We still mixed in Latavius Murray in the red zone when it mattered. 
And then when you look at receiving, they still found ways to get James Cook out there to keep them honest. It's you look at where the targets are being spread. Stephon Diggs obviously paced the day at 111 yards receiving and 12 targets because he was beating his assignments like a drum. And so they're like, well, fuck it. If they can't cover you on the outside, I will throw you the football. But at the same time, what I want to do is now as a football team is I'm not just going to live and die on those outside throws. I'm not just going to wait for you to pull a deep cross or a deep in or a, you know, a post route deep to Gabe Davis. Like, look at that, Chris. Four targets, one catch, 35 yards for a tutty. I don't like those. There's three drops. Yeah. Well, one drop. And then just the, the on the pass where it was in the end zone, it was like, well, it's a tough one. But it, it came the second they showed a single high safety. Right? And this is where this Bills team, I, I wonder if we haven't, or if I haven't. Okay, I'll be honest. I'm being, I'm painting with a broad brush. I'm saying we when I should say I. If I haven't been too hard on them, for the way they've coached Josh Allen, because what we're watching is him now have this. Last week, there was no deep shots. There was none. They said, listen, here's where you live inside this box. Run the offense. And we decimated the Raiders. This week, it was, hey, we're going to run the same type of offense. Chris, NFL Next Gen Stats, if you can open that up in a separate tab, go ahead and open that up and look at the passer chart for Josh Allen. So it's like they came out and they said, hey, last week we put you in timeout because you had a rough start in week one. You freelanced all over the fucking place and we can't handle it. We can't handle this. Can't have it. Now what I need from you is I need you to operate the offense. Trust your skill players. Trust them to make plays. Not just your primary. Not just your secondary tertiary targets. I need you to trust your running backs out there in space. And he did that. And it dominated the Raiders. Now, you go back, Chris, go to charts and passing for Josh Allen. Hell yeah. Get me that. So week two, Josh Allen threw no passes over 20 yards through the air. This week, Chris, when you look at what happened, I want you to tell the listeners what you're looking at. I don't know what I'm looking okay. at here. So where's I can see there's a blue line. That's a touchdown. Well, that's a touchdown. That's completed. The completed. That's, uh, see, he, it was the same exact throw to the almost yeah. same exact spot. In the I field see that where Gabe Davis was like, hey, I'm open because they ran single high. And Gabe Davis was like, fuck it. I'm out here. Allen tried to find him. Missed him. Came right back to the same spot. Hits him for a touchdown. This week, they were able to open it up a little bit. One, two, three, four completions of over 20 yards. One of them's a tutty. Like, those are the plays that we know Allen can make. It's everything else that fucks up the commanders in this game. That's the thing I love about it. It's all of the dink and dunk, these screen passes that are completed that just go for yardage, go for yardage. Hey, if you're going to give me a two-high shell... I'm now going to take advantage of that, and I'm going to draw that safety down. I'm going to make you do it, because I'm just going to beat your linebackers like a fucking drum. They did this to a degree that forced them to give us the Gabe Davis touchdown. Like, they they didn't have a choice. (laughs) 
They had to give it to us. And that that's what's crazy, Chris. They, they made it into the red zone how many times and didn't throw touchdowns. They rushed for them. Or intercepted them. Or intercepted them. Because, <laughs> fucking, I, I can't believe I got to. I can't believe I'm about to come on a podcast and praise AJ fucking Epinesa. <sighs> what I know is that when you look at that, and then I go back and I say, okay, what was the, like, think about the Kansas City Chiefs. All of these years that they've been competitive, who are the most productive units on their football team? I have no idea. It's your tight ends. Obviously. Chris Cooley, obviously. Chris Cooley. Jesus, Chris, Chris Cooley. Oh, my God. You, If you go back to the Kansas City Chiefs and you look at who they've had to throw the ball to while Mahomes has been competitive and been carrying them to Super Bowls, he uses everybody. It's the running backs. It's the tight ends. Some weeks it's the wide receivers, but then other weeks it's like, hey, fuck it. We're just going to beat you with the guys on the inside. Why? Because you're giving it to us. This is the step that we've been waiting for Allen to take. That, hey, not only is our offensive coordinator giving you options, but that you're mature enough to take them and say, listen, I don't need 500 yards. I don't need to throw for 303 touchdowns today to win this football game. I don't have to be AFC player of the week in order to win this football game. What I need to do is be efficient be effective. If I do throw a pick, it's because I'm challenging something down the field and it's basically an arm punt. I wasn't even mad. Chris, were you mad at the interception? Uh, no, it's so what, third and long? It was basically a punt. Third and long and you threw it to the 20. Yeah, what you're, okay. trying, what you're trying to do is get a, is a, get a P.I. call. Mm-hmm. And he overthrew him, picked off, so it's essentially a punt. Good. You pu- you punted with your arm and now our special teamers, you know, Reed Ferguson doesn't have to go out there and get any more wear and tear. Perfect. Just as we drew it up, (laughs) I just look at this and I say to myself, this is the offense that we were always supposed to run with Josh Allen. Because then later in the game, he has a run for a first down. You know, his rushing has been very much limited, but he runs for a long first down in like the second quarter and everyone goes, oh yeah, they, the defense got lulled into a sense of security and forgot he can do that. He just runs away, then slide, then slides, which is one of the biggest developments. I was like, oh, shit, he does care about his own safety. And then later in the game, there's a there's a photo of him rushing. And like when he jumps over the line and like tips the ball as he crosses the goal line. And there's just a, there's a camera angle where there's a Washington player just laying on his head, like laying face down on the ground with his hands over his helmet. Just like, God damn it, I know what happened. I don't even need to see it. I know Josh Hill's in the answer. This offense is becoming what we needed it to be. Like, look at the target share. Look at the way this got spread around. Khalil Shakir got a catch for five yards. Dalton Kincaid got two looks. He didn't have much of a game, right? Kincaid was doing well. They tried to take him away, and they said, okay, fine, fuck it. We're not going to give you that. We'll get Deontay Hardy in here for 15 yards. We'll get Trent Sherfield in here for 18 yards. We will go everywhere and anywhere. We'll spread the ball out. I don't give a shit. We don't need a dominant wide receiver. And then you look at that rushing yard total. 
Latavius Murray, 5 for 15. <laughs> Damian Harris, 5 for 15. James Cook, 15 for 98. Because he's just faster than everybody. This is the offense it was supposed to be last year. We're just getting it now. This is where we don't have to have a quarterback pull a, what do you want, a Tyreek, we don't don't need Miami's 70-point explosion against the the Broncos. We're different in the fact that it's suffocating to try to play this offense now. It's through two weeks, it's not a fluke. It's if your defense is mediocre to not elite, we'll just chew and we'll chew and we'll chew and we'll chew and we'll march and we'll get first downs and we'll convert and then we'll walk. Chris, scroll up. How many third down conversions did we have? Here we go. Uh, Third down conversions, nine for 15. Washington was one of nine. (laughs) Oh, you hate to see it. You just hate to see it. I mean, I, I think that entering this por- portion of the season, we're exactly where we need to be. We're exactly where we need to be. There don't need to be anything other than this. Now, if I want to look around the, the rest of the team and kind of give some... To, I mean, the interior offensive line. Osiris Torrance, did we steal him in this draft? Yeah, second round pick. He fell. He was... Now... For those that don't remember, if you were here when we did or our Torrance Cyrus, when we did our mock draft, I had him mocked to Buffalo in the first round. Oh, that didn't happen because we don't do mock yeah. drafts because we're not I did. Guys. I did. <laughs> we had Doug on. Oh, that's right. I Doug, did, oh, I yeah, did a mock did draft, and I had the Bills taking him in the first round, but he fell to the second for whatever reason, and I. Still, watching the game, when I get, was watching the game at work when I had the opportunity, <clears throat> didn't hear his name at all. Probably because he's doing his job. No, because he's doing very well. In fact, I think he's the 11th guard, like in terms of pressures allowed now, after going up against teams with pretty good interior players. Here's what I love. When I go back and I do like kind of a referendum on the on the draft, <clears throat> Paris Johnson gets taken. He's the first offensive lineman off the board. He goes to the Arizona. Darnell Wright, Peter Skronsky, okay, those were kind of figured. You know, Broderick Jones, cool. He went to Pittsburgh. Everyone kind of knew he was a project. So now you're looking back at it going, okay, now what? Who are the linemen? Like, who are the Bills going to take as a guard who might be able to come in here and start off the bus. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There's a lot of tackles taken, right? Matthew Bergeron goes. There was a part of me that was thinking Joe Tipman might have been in play. Joe Tipman gets taken before the uh, center. John Michael Schmitz. And so then it comes to us, and a part of me goes, John Michael Schmitz. That's a guy who might have, like, Bills fans thought that he might have been good, right? Yeah. Well, you're going to... You're going to need to take a look at that center position. How long is Morse going to go? Sure. And that's why I think a lot of us were on that early. And if he was there, I don't know what the Bills would have done. What I do know is that John Michael Schmitz has not graded out to be the player Osiris Torrance is. There's a reason Torrance was talked about. I get it, guard isn't sexy, but guard can transform your offense. We're watching that. Because you watch this game. If you go back and you watch the tape, you guys won't, which is why you're listening to me. You saw a pocket against a defensive line that we all know is good. I don't have to tell you their credentials. They're fucking good. They're all first-round draft picks, and they've maintained their jobs this long. None of them are failures. None of them are flameouts. In fact, if anything, that's the thing that powers this defense of the commanders. Josh Allen had pockets to work from. Because more often than not, those offensive linemen, especially on the interior, just did their fucking job. They just got in there, mopped it up. Torrance played with a lot of toughness. There was a lot of tough reps for him. Where it's, you're talking about Jonathan Taylor. Or Jonathan Allen. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Taylor, Jesus Christ. The running back. He doesn't play football. No, he doesn't play football. He sits on the sideline and demands traits. Uh, Jonathan Allen is in there just, it's him, and it's him trying to switch off from one guard to the next. Like, okay, well, I'll play here, I'll play there, I'll play here, I'll play there, I'll try to find pressures. He was never, none of these guys, Chris, were ever allowed to impact the game. Chase Young is the closest thing to a defensive end that I saw make an impact, and Allen just rolled away from him and <laughs> throws down the field. Our guard play has been the most transformative thing about this offense besides Allen's buy-in to the philosophy of sometimes playing small ball and the idea that less is more. And you can't get beyond that. Chris, if you have a quarterback of his stature who also gets time to just stand in the pocket, mm-hmm. how many negative plays do you see coming out of that? I don't know. On the other side of the football, this defensive performance, it's just a fucking chef's kiss. It really is. Like, Gordon Ramsay couldn't find a problem with the defensive game plan of the Buffalo Bills in this weekend's game. And I think it makes Sean McDermott look... I don't know, more prepared for the moment than maybe some of us gave him credit for in the offseason. Like, I think about how our coverage units and pass rush are in perfect synergy right now. 
The idea, Chris, that there was no separation available for any of those Washington players. None. (laughs) They couldn't find it. Even Terry McLaurin, their best route runner, got no separation. Also, our pass rush is pretty good, isn't it? Pretty good. Playing a quarterback who holds the football too long, that's a recipe for disaster, and we saw that. He was just, Sam Howell's essentially a rookie. Yes. It's his first go. I mean, he was on the team last year, but this is his first go-around where he's getting significant snaps. He did the thing that I think they were anticipating he would do, and he held the football too long, waiting for plays to come available. And they just trusted the fact that our defensive backs are very good in coverage, and we're going to buy them time to get home in a way that is going to be... It's almost like against a normal team. I think against a veteran quarterback who had some of the same tendencies, they still would have gotten two or three sacks. This just waterboarding of contact with the quarterback is a byproduct of his youth, but it's also a testament to what Sean McDermott coaches, how he game plans, how he film studies, and how he dissects quarterback tendencies, teaches his team to respond. Right now I'm looking at, uh, it's what, throw the damn ball on Twitter. You know, I don't know, J Fort Gang, whatever his thing is. He did a chart and he did, he fucked it up. He did it like an asshole. Instead of like the X and Y axis running, you know, the, the person with the best statistics to the worst, he did best, like, he just reversed the values on the axes. So it's hard to see it, but I'm going to retweet it. And Chris, if you can go ahead and grab that video, it's in our bookmarks. Now, I incorporate it in the YallTube. 2023 cornerback separation allowed and then target percentage. So basically he's comparing how much separation these guys are allowing versus how many times they've been targeted. Minimum of 40 coverage snaps. So you have to be a DB who's been in most of the games so far. Teron Johnson is the best in the NFL in terms of the least separation allowed, and also the fewest targets against. Because he's killing it. And I think at this point, Chris, wouldn't you say he's kind of earned a pedigree? Yeah. Teams know they have to respect Teron Johnson. He's a value for us, given the way we like to structure our defense. In the fact that he showed up here as a late-round draft pick and became quietly one of the best slot defensive backs in the entire NFL. The only way the only place he shows up is when you look at who's getting paid what. He is the one of the highest paid cornerbacks in football. There's a reason for that. Sean McDermott's not stupid. He goes, "Listen, that guy. I found a guy that I can build. This is a rock that I will build my house on. I have a Trey White, I have a Teron Johnson. I can make the rest of this work with the Christian Benfords and Kyrie Lums and everybody else in the world." I have these two guys. I can make my cornerback room work. And by the way, it's not, it doesn't hurt that Christian Benford is also not that far removed from Teron Johnson on this chart. Our DBs are doing some phenomenal work this season. They are playing their balls off. Christian Benford is 
kind of the like the the safe and steady that you thought you were getting in Dane Jackson on steroids because he's physical, because he's willing to challenge wide. He's been flagged. Sometimes he plays a little overly physical, but I'll take that if it means that you can do what we did to a team like the Commanders throughout the course of the season. I want a cornerback who's willing to go out there and just fight with guys and yet run with them for four quarters. You've literally taken away already knowing Trey, what Trey White is. You've taken away part of the field. Now you're working on having two of the better cover men. It's almost like they're throwing away from them because they're not giving them a window. Players, quarterbacks go, well, we have to throw at Trey White. What happens in the red zone when you do that, Chris? You saw that. Pick in the end zone. And for everybody who I heard yelling about, oh, how come he didn't stay in the end zone? First of all, have you ever caught an NFL interception? No? Then shut up. Also, if you catch a football in motion, your natural energy is just to keep following like, hey, I caught it. I'm going to complete the catch. And if you are a DB worth a shit, think about Teron Johnson in that game against the... uh, the Ravens. You catch the ball. You don't go down. You look for an avenue. You're always looking to make a play. You stay hungry that way. Our defensive backs right now have quietly been some of the best cover men allowed allowed to be charted in the NFL. And that speaks volumes to what our season could look like. As long as everyone stays healthy, as long as our offense continues to do their fair share. Chris, it is exciting. But obviously the pass rush gets all the credit, right? Yeah. That's crazy. Like, the NFL Next Gen Stats put up the tweet and showed all of the pressures that the Bills generated. Daquan Jones had five and couldn't make the graphic. They had to put him in, like, the fine print. Yeah. And he tweeted about it. He was like... Your boy can't get... He goes, your boy's getting the fine print treatment? Damn. <laughs> our our zero-technique defensive tackle had five pressures. Chris, now obviously, we are beating up on a bad team. Yeah. A.J. Panessa, though. Let's talk about that play. That's a play... I didn't see it live or... I didn't see a replay. I just know he had a touchdown. Wait, you didn't see it? No, I was at work, dude. But you didn't see a replay? No. Okay, so let me draw you a picture. This will be good. Sam Howell rolls to his left. Epinesa's crashing. Seems like he's going to go for the sack. Let me ask you this. Let me stop you right there. Yeah. Are you starting to describe... J.J. Watt picking off E.J. Manuel no, this is for a touchdown? More, this is way more embarrassing. Way more embarrassing. So, he rolls to his left. Epines is crashing. He sees that and tries to do the thing where he lofts it over his head. And instead, Epines just stops and just jumps straight up in the air and grabs it. And then proceeds to just fuck you and just runs. Like a Mac Jones fuck you? (laughs) Kind of, yeah. All right. He doesn't get his hands on him clean, but it's one of those things where it's like he... Howell knew the second he threw it. He's like, oh, fuck. Ah, and he tries to get in there, but it's not. It doesn't work. And now you've got A.J. Epinesa just down the right sideline. 
while there are Commanders fans with their heads in their hands, just rubbing their faces, just like, oh my God, what else can go wrong today? We already went into the red zone and threw a pick to Trey White. We already are fucking all this up. What else can go wrong? And then that happens, and I think it just broke everybody. <laughs> there was a touchdown that broke everybody in attendance. You're like, oh shit. Not only are we not winning this game, but we might actually be a joke. All of this comes down to McDermott's organization of that defense. You you don't jump in that scenario. Remember, you know, you know what it does? It takes me back to, do you remember Jerry Hughes? There's a play against the Seahawks in 2020. It's fourth and goal. The Seahawks go for it. You've got... Uh, oh, this is that uh, fourth down pick in the end zone. Yes, sir. You've got Russell Wilson running around in the backfield trying to buy time for a wide receiver to get open. You've got Jerry Hughes right on him. And instead of going for the tackle, Jerry Hughes just goes, nah, I'm just here to make sure you don't run. And I'm going to put my hands up and make it difficult for you to get a pass off. Sean McDermott doesn't get enough credit, I think, for the level of coaching and game preparation this team has had since he got here. I know we like to attribute a lot of things to Leslie Frazier and his game preparation. And obviously, you know, I I don't want to steal anything away from the man. But since Sean McDermott arrived as a defensive coordinator himself, our defense has seemed much more prepared and studied on the opponent's tendencies. And by and large, I mean, obviously there are games where it blows up in our face, but I think he thinks that he's coached this team to understand what that team wants to do, and here's how we take it away. There's no bigger indicator of that to me than one, well, first of all, that A.J. Epinesa sack was it, in a nutshell. Hey, don't actually try to sack him. Just pressure him and then watch and I think AJ Epinesa made a great play, but he watches this and goes, hey, when he's pressured, he will just huck it. Can I get big in this moment and just go up and get that ball? Chris, you could have, if, if you were, because think about this, if you were Sam Howell, you could have thrown that ball out of bounds. <laughs> yeah. Could have just checked it out of bounds. You're outside the tackle box. But he didn't. <laughs> but he fucking didn't. He tried to force it through the player. That's coaching, where you go, listen, he will try to do this if you get him in this scenario. So be ready, be on guard, you're a rotational defensive end, but fuck it, be ready for this moment, because you might get it. A.J. Epinesa, of all people, gets to have it. Sean McDermott has her defensive backs ready to say, listen, watch the eyes. Fuck everything that's going on in the field, watch the eyes. You heard that in the literature this week. Hey, we were just watching his eyes and trying to figure out where he was going, but... This is all coming from the coach, where he goes, listen, this is how we defend this team. We'll crush them if you do this appropriately. And he's finally got the horses to do it. On the defensive line, at the linebacker level, in the secondary, everybody's playing high-end football. That Micah Hyde pick was crazy. It looked like he leapfrogged him. From the broadcast angle, his ass is in the camera, and he's jumping over the shoulder to get the ball. It was it was like a replay of that uh, Milano pick where he almost looked like he mossed. Mm-hmm. He mossed the wide receiver and was like, nah, fucking give me that ball. 
This defense is pouncing on everything and everyone, and that's all based on film tendencies, things that they study all week long. McDermott does not get enough credit for the way our team has played over the course of the season on defense. Are they perfect? No, no team is. But they are they're, they're limiting big passing plays, which ultimately will be the thing that drives the NFL. You will have teams that run the ball like the New York Jets, and they will rattle off a play or two against you. But by and large, Chris, isn't that... Like, can you stop the pass against a team that gets into a hole and has to throw? And can you shut them out? Almost. Yeah. Okay. Done. Sean McDermott, A-plus job. Yet he's not tonight's hero of the game. That honor goes to linebacker Terrell Bernard. Don't take it personally, all right? Franchise star players are a lot like Highlanders. There can only be one. There can only be one. And so, as I crack a fresh Montucky, Chris, remember we've been calling him Schrodinger's linebacker? You have. I don't know what that means. Of course you don't. Uncultured swine. From Schrodinger's linebacker to AFC Defensive Player of the Week, like what a time to be alive for the Buffalo Bills. He's had a really solid three weeks of football. He came into that Jets game, and I think a lot of us were kind of holding our breath to be like, oh, no. You know, they tried to put Dodson in there in the preseason. That failed. They tried to put Klein in the middle linebacker role. That failed. Specter isn't totally healthy and also just is. He, Chris, he's a seventh-round draft pick. Yeah. <laughs> he plays football like it. We need something. And here strolls in Bernard, just real slow, and goes, guys, I got this. Back-to-back weeks, he's had fantastic games. And then, I don't know, when I think about what we thought some of the more incomplete parts of his game was, or are, I I don't even know how to qualify it now, because he's playing amazing football. He's not perfect. You know, he doesn't always pick the right gap. His size will always make him a liability when a guard really gets a hold of him. Like, he's not going to win that matchup. But instinctively, and just with some tenacity, he's playing this game the way you want a middle linebacker to play it. Now the question is this, Chris. This debate, the Edmonds-Terrell-Bernard debate, has started on Twitter. It's not even really a debate. It's more of a, oh, my God, look, see, he's so much more explosive. He's so much this. He's that. Blah, 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 blah. What I know is I was talking to Jeff Pollock, buddy of mine, and he texts me. This is what I love about Jeff. Jeff listens to our podcast. He'll randomly text me with no pretext. He doesn't. We, we don't have to make small talk. He knows he can just text me about football, and we'll just talk about it. And we were talking about Bernard. And it was this idea that Edmonds was always... like. There's a reason Roquan Smith was drafted ahead of Tremaine Edmonds. <coughs> As a six foot five linebacker with the speed to cover slot guys, you'd assume he'd be a top three pick, right? Yeah. The reason he wasn't was because everyone said he was slow to process. And we watched that play out. There's a reason that he kind of Paul Pazluzny'd himself. Yeah, just the the idea that he was getting 
tackles five yards downfield, six yards downfield. A lot of that is just hesitation to react because he's processing slower than the game is evolving. He's taken step forwards in his career. He's a multi-time pro bowler. His physical talents make him effective at the NFL level. At the same time, you watch the difference between him and Matt Milano. That's the difference between all pro and pro bowl. Matt Milano not only has the physical chops to play the linebacker position, the attitude, the mentality, he also has it between the ears to process quickly. You know, we've talked about it with Brett Coleman. He calls every time he gets to talk about the Bills is Matt Milano Appreciation Week. Yeah. He goes, I get to talk about how Matt Milano is the smartest football player I've ever watched who can drop. He has the athleticism to, to drop back like he's a coverage linebacker and then crash from depth at the back of the, the, the front seven box and always pick the right hole. Always pick the right lane. He just diagnoses so fast. He's smart. He processes quickly or he sees the flow of the play and he gets in there and disrupts. Bernard has that. And so even if he's not Tremaine Edmonds, like I understand people want to compare apples to apples. They're not the same player. Edmonds has all of the tool. Edmonds is you driving a. I don't even know how to I don't even know how to describe it. You driving a Hellcat. And it's me in an old school Monte Carlo. <laughs> and it's us in a race. I'm going to process faster than you, and I'm not terrified of playing fast. <clears throat> I'm not afraid that I'll make a mistake. And so in that way, I'm probably going to beat you. And if I don't beat you, I'll at least do as well as you do. Despite all the technological handicaps. It's like that, that's the only comparison I can make for these two players. But I'm happy we're having this conversation because, again, Chris, that was one of the flaws that was supposed to be present in the Buffalo Bills, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. The linebacker position was supposed to be the weakness that sank this defense. Well, we don't know what they have in middle linebacker now that they lost Tremaine Edmonds, and you know they're going to have to groom some young guy until whatever. Terrell Bernard has stepped in and played like a veteran. Yeah. And the best part is, is that he's still learning. You watch that. You see the nuance. I'm not just saying that. It's not a throwaway comment. You watch in his approach from the start of a game to the end of a game. If you watch the, the actual, like, guys, I hate to say it, but NFL Plus, whatever they're charging for it, it's worth it to pay it. Just if you actually want to watch this stuff develop, from the start of a game to the end of a game, you watch Terrell Bernard get more and more decisive. Get He almost plays faster going into the second, third, fourth quarters because now he knows what you're doing and he he trusts what his eyes are showing him. And that'll only get better as he gets older, as he gets more acclimated to being in the action. I'm really excited about where this guy can go. I'm really not excited about where the next guy's going to go, and that's our zero of the week, Mr. Ron Rivera. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. Now, Chris, I'm going to finger quote you for the next for the next drop. I could have given this award to a whole bunch of people. The Washington fans who let us take over the stadium. I could have given it to Sam Howell for throwing four interceptions and not knowing how to dump the ball off or how to get the hell out of a collapsing pocket. I could have given it to Jack Del Rio, Washington's defensive coordinator, for not spying Josh Allen until the fourth quarter. I could have given it to Eric Bieniemy, Right? 
10 carries to a running back who's averaging 7 yards a touch. You're an idiot. I could have given it to Washington Commanders cornerback Emmanuel Forbes. Redskins. Who spent the whole game, I want to say right after the first quarter, making business decisions. Remember that? Who was the running back who said that? Like, I want to make people... Was it Zach Moss? Yeah. Zach Moss was the running back who said, like, I want to make... A business decision. I want to make defensive players make business decisions when I run. Okay. Well, I watched Forbes do it. Forbes got the hell out of the way, except the runner wasn't Zach Moss. It was James Cook, who weighs like 60 pounds less than that guy. I think James Cook might be the smallest running back in football. That guy was tackling like with the ole kind of technique. I could have given this to Dan Snyder for not having the balls to stick around so that my football team could kick the teeth out of the mouth of your football team one more time while you still sat there in the box and fucking watched. Instead, no one was a bigger zero in my book than Ron Rivera, and it comes down to whether you believe it's a good idea to kick a field goal to avoid a shutout with 50 seconds left on the clock or not. With all due respect, and remember, I'm saying with all due respect, that idea ain't worth a velvet painting of a whale and a dolphin getting it on. Your take, Chris, because as we sat down here, you told me flat out you didn't realize that it came with 50 seconds left. No, but I will talk about something completely different here. <laughs> and I do appreciate you. This is the right move, and I will explain it to you, that you didn't throw me in as the loser of the week. So do you? can you tell everybody what we call Iman Azizi's bets? Oh, they're beta bets. Okay. I have something I like to call Biden bets, as in Joe Biden or president. So do you remember my bets from the group chat on Saturday? Yeah. yeah. Do you remember? Oklahoma minus 14 and a half. Ole Miss money line. Auburn plus eight and a half. Mark, our attorney, decided to tweet those out. First of all, he got two of the three wrong because he said Ole Miss plus eight, which is completely different than money line. <laughs> and then he missed the half point on Oklahoma. But the reason that they're called Biden bets, and you and I talked about this last week off camera, I'm, I was diving into too much information. I yep. won first week with a, with a three-leg parlay where I read all this information. Then weeks two and three, same thing, reading the information, uh, articles, podcasts. And second week, I went 0 for 4. Week, last week... <laughs> The week before, one and three. And then with the picks I put in the group chat of Oklahoma, Ole Miss, and Auburn, they all lost too. So that would be 0 and 3. Except those are Biden bets. Biden bets, if you didn't know, are named after a president because those weren't my bets. <laughs> that was my betting sheet. I lied. not my bet. I lied. <laughs> what an asshole. I lied. I bet none of those games. And if you can see, these are the order that I selected. 
And if you see the last one, I got fucking greedy. Oh, Wake, you had it. Wake Forest minus four against Tech, and they oh. they flat out lost. But I had Maryland cover seven and a half over Michigan Florida State. Florida State Clemson. North Carolina beat the shit out of And you tweeted who makes better picks, and you put on that somebody saying Pittsburgh was going to beat UNC. I had that game correct on my on my uh, spread. But, yeah, that is, that's my – if you're on YouTube, you just saw my uh, my bet my bet slip for this past weekend. But yeah, Oklahoma, Ole Miss, Auburn, those are Biden bets. I lied. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who's the bigger loser now. You were uh, that's a rough way to fucking lose. Uh, I know I was I was getting excited because that was like the uh, I knew North Carolina could handle Pittsburgh. Georgia Tech and Wake Forest. Why would you bet on GT? No, I bet on Wake Forest. Yeah, but why but, would you ever bet a GT game? Because Georgia, they're nerds. Their offense is awful. Yeah, Georgia Tech is nerds, and they somehow beat Wake Forest. Wake Forest had a rough game last the week before. Nobody had a weird, nobody had a rougher game than the Virginia uh, Cavaliers. Yeah, nobody had a rougher, a rougher beat than them. Yeah. So just know, Mark Smith, when you ask for my lock pile. They might be my bets, or they might be Biden bets. <laughs> final thoughts, Chris, as we wrap this up. That was my final thought. All right. First of all, thoughts and prayers for Paul Williams. <laughs> no. Paul Williams, I love that guy. And also to everyone in those stands who weren't Bills fans, I saw the camera angles. I soaked every bit of it up. I rewatched the game from like the coaches film. I watched some of the all 22 and then I went back and just rewatched the broadcast because I wanted to see how people in the stands were reacting and at what point they left. People started leaving like halfway through the third <laughs> and it just got worse as the second half went on. <laughs> Chris, in this game, the bills gave the entire NFL a really harsh reminder that well, the record was one and one coming into the game. A lot like Kansas City, a season opening loss doesn't mean that all two win teams are suddenly are equal. Think about the teams that have two wins that can't hold a fucking candle to us. Pittsburgh? Yeah. Are you joking me? Bring them in here right now. We'll run them out of the fucking gym. In fact, we'll shred them, we'll kill their quarterback, and then we'll carry Mike Tomlin out to the parking lot and set him on fire. I guess that's why I didn't feel anything ahead of our week one matchup with New Jersey. And it's why I wasn't shocked by the way we pummeled the Raiders. Like, I was happy to see it, but I wasn't surprised. Under Sean McDermott, like, outside of this injury-plagued 2022 season, the Bills' defense has regularly been dominant, both against the pass and on the scoreboard. That doesn't just evaporate because you shuffled in some new faces at linebacker or whatever. And, and I think that we did the work over the course of the offseason to prove that there were a lot of playoff teams that had bad to mediocre linebacker play mm -hmm. involved in the playoffs. So we shouldn't have been worried about that. In fact, what we're seeing, though, is quite the opposite can be true. You can bring in a bunch of new faces, and you can bring in new defensive ends who don't know the system. You can bring in new D-tackles. You can bring in you know, 
a linebacker who's been, like been with the team but never gotten starting experience, and your defense can get better than what we thought was already good. Like right now, this team is as hot as you could ask on both sides of the ball. Seventy-five points scored to this point in the season. Do you know what the drought era Bills would have would have given Chris? It probably would have saved some jobs if at any point during the drought. Like, think about uh, who was the guy who got extended and then fired. I can't think of it right now because I'm two, four, six. Oh, seven, that's eight, um, nine, ten. I'm Dick, a double digit beer. So Dick Duran. Dick Duran. So if Dick Duran had a team that scored seventy five points in three games, do you think he would have kept his job? Yeah. One of those teams might have made the playoffs. If you could have put a stretch like that together. Mm-hmm. 75 points scored in offense. On defense, one hour, 35 minutes, and 56 seconds. That is like, that's like a feature length movie, isn't it? You're the movie guy. Okay. One hour, 35 minutes. Chris, Google what the running time of Coneheads is. Yeah. I'll put this in terms you can fucking understand. I bet Coneheads is an hour and a half. 87 minutes. Ah! So in just slightly more time than it takes to watch Coneheads, that's the amount of time that our defense has played completely scoreless football. Scoreless football for longer than Coneheads. In that in that time span, five interceptions, nine sacks, fifteen quarterback hits, sixteen tackles for loss, two and zero in the red zone against opposing offenses, and a defensive touchdown. What? What are we talking about here? You just pressured an opposing quarterback on eighty percent of his dropbacks, and you didn't blitz. Chris, this is the most dominant Bills team on both sides of the ball I've seen in a long time. Now, for as much as we hate to take things away from people, the Dolphins did that too. The Dolphins ran up some shit on a bad team. I would argue that what the Dolphins just did to the to, to the Broncos on offense is what we just did to the commanders on defense. I love that we're getting them right now, after the weeks our teams both had. Because this is really where the rubber meets the road. You're going to find out both teams healthy, playing at their peak. Let's find out what each other has. Yeah. I'm nervous, but I'm excited. I'm I'm pumped about it. And I just feel bad. That we had to treat, you know, because this whole thing, all the all the conversation in the week running up to this was don't overlook the team, right? It's almost like, uh, Chris, the Iron Bowl in the SEC, Auburn, Alabama. Yeah. How they always, both colleges, both bring in a scrub to play right before they play each other. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that kind of what we just did with Denver and yeah. Washington? So with it in mind, now that's behind us, it's game time. I've never been more confident about the abilities of a Bills team. It'll be interesting to see 
how this Dolphins offense, how we can slow it down and whether or not they're as real as advertised. But coming out of the wake of this, dude, this has probably been the most dominating two weeks of Bills football I've ever seen in my life. I love it. I can't. I, dude, Chris, if they do this again on Sunday, I'm naked in the parking lot. Oh, <laughs> Chris, the face you made. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. Guys, I can't wait. We have a preview show coming up later this week with Elf Artiaga from Three Arts Per Carry. I can't wait to break down the matchups involved and some of the nuances of the Dolphins against the Bills. Like, this is the game that, like, kind of defines what the race for the title is going to be in the division for the next couple of years. You're at your peak. We're at ours. Let's go out there and play it. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your Rock Power Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.